Planet Worker, a world in development. Vientiane, May 2013. The rain has come early to Vientiane this year. The clouds have grouped themselves over the city, dark, grey and foreboding. On my morning walk the drops get heavier and I shelter under a grass pagoda providing shelter to tuk-tuk drivers and watch scooters buzz by, riders squinting in the driving rain. In the background the Mekong winds its way between Laos on this side and Thailand on the far bank, slow and indolent. I silently share a cigarette with the truck drivers who wait for the sheets of water to subside. Later, I walk along the riverfront to a palatial Chinese-built hotel on the riverbank. Local legend has it that it has been paid for with laundered drug proceeds, and that part of the deal was that building standards would be overlooked to accord a prime position on the waterfront. Apparently, this strategy has backfired, and the building has been built into a floodplain. It is now sinking into the sands of the riverbank. Corruption and a helter-skelter approach to land development is commonplace in Laos, with land rights and due process often sacrificed at the altar of economic advancement and personal gain. I'm torn between appreciation of the appearance of a modern Laos and reminders of its recent past. This is an economy emerging from years of stagnation to achieve a growth rate of 6% plus each year, driving an explosion of construction, new businesses, bars, restaurants and cars. Vientiane itself resembles a large construction site as buildings are thrown up to meet growing demand. Tourists pour through its borders and airports as part of their Southeast Asian travel routes, dispensing dollars and euros on their way. On the face of it, Laos re resembles Thailand's smaller cousin, economic progress and in an increasingly free society. Behind the neon lights, though, there's a darker side to the progress. For just over 35 years, Laos has had a political system based on the socialist principle of democratic centralism, reinforcing the concept of bottom-up consultation with top-down decision-making. The Lao People's Revolutionary Party, led by an 11-person Politburo, is the only political party and policy-making body in the country. The system of policy-making and implementation is influenced by the fact that virtually all officials at the policy-making level and most candidates for the National Assembly are party members and that most senior officials are also members of the party's central committee. The country's 16 provincial governors are appointed centrally and in turn appoint district chiefs in a chain of administrative positions from the top down. Only the village head is elected from a list of candidates drawn up by the district chief. This political structure has established an apparatus of control over not only the pace and benefits of economic progress, but the lives of ordinary citizens and others in Laos society. For visitors and expats, permission are still required for travel in certain areas, 
and government's minders accompany foreign workers on official business. Silently, deadpanned, the fourth person in the vehicle. For citizens, there are more ominous reminders of the cost of dissent. One of the most shocking of these reminders is the disappearance of individuals considered to be a threat to the ruling elite, persons spirited away who are often never seen again. At the time of my visit, development and civic actors are still reeling from the disappearance in December 2012 of Sombath Sompon, a well-known community activist revered by his peers and considered a moderate voice for social progress. Sombath Sin seems to be collating the stories of land dispossession from rural areas. An acquaintance points out the police checkpoint on the outskirts of the city where he was last seen before cameras showed him being bundled into a van and his car being driven away. I'm heart sore at the description of the desperate and futile attempts of his wife and friends to find him and of a cold official silence. Six months later, the repressive tactic appears to have worked, with Loatian and expatriate colleagues like reluctant to engage in political discussion or even to discuss the disappearance. My colleagues are also rethinking a program to work with communities that are to be forcibly resettled to make way for a dam, wary of the political sensitivity and the risk to local staff. I travel up north to the mountainous Bekeo province, close to Myanmar and Thailand borders in what is known as the Golden Triangle, to see firsthand why Sombath and my colleagues are worried. Accompanied by our obligatory government minder, we visit some of the villages earmarked for resettlement to make way for a dam and a casino. Both are being bankrolled by a Chinese capitalist, Zhao Wei. The dam ostensibly to assist Laos's development, the casino for Chinese citizen entertainment. Zhao is supported and protected by the Laos elite. With the result, he acts ruthlessly and with impunity, and his activities across the province extend to child trafficking, sexual slavery, drug smuggling and extortion. It's a dangerous environment to raise rights issues or to complain. The eyes and ears of the regime are everywhere, and upon sighting, our government minder welcomes and complaints are muted, but I do get the gist of anger and resignation from village leaders. There are 34 ethnic groups in Bokeo, but the villages we are meeting are from the Hmong, a mountainous ethnic group who have been politically marginalised and persecuted since fighting alongside US forces in the American War, as it is known here. Unlucky for the Hmong, this area was one of the most bombed of the war, and when overrun by the North Vietnamese in 1973, Many thousands were either airlifted to Thailand or the lucky ones to the US. Those that remained walked across the mountains for the refuge of refugee camps in Thailand. Those that survived and stayed have eked out lives under an antagonistic communist government. The loss of land rights may well be another form of payback. 
It doesn't look good for these villagers and anyone who dares to help them. We do not have permission to stay beyond a day or two and head back to Vientiane. After a few days in the capital I'm bored and decide to hire a scooter and tour the city's environs and surrounding rural areas. I follow the Mekong along dusty tracks and ride through isolated villages and towns, watched curiously by local children. The contrast is between urban and rural and is mirrored by that of Thailand on the far bank and the poor Laotian villages on this side. These rural settlements remain poor, falling further behind both their national and urban neighbours. Elsewhere in the country the story is similar, with poor villages literally making way for dams, infrastructural development and casinos. Developments which were likely to make the ruling elite richer still, but often devastating for those communities immediately affected. Earlier discussions with my colleagues centred on how to deal with this dilemma. Assisting communities to resist would be political suicide, while assisting them to relocate would risk co-option. No easy answers here. Returning to the city, I have a beer and dinner with a friend. Watching the sun set over the river, it's hard not to be lulled into a false sense of security and a simplistic notion that things are getting better and that life is good. We remember Sombath and fall into a somber silence. Free planet! Our planet! Free planet! Our-